All right, build more church. Uh, take your Bibles. Turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter six. That's where we're going to where we're going to be. Man, I want to give a good morning to uh, all the Biltmore Church folks distributed all over uh, 828. Uh, I hope that you've had already had an amazing morning of worship. One of the things we've talked about many, many times is worship is the fuel for the Christian life. It's not all of the Christian life, but it is the fuel for the Christian life, and it's the fuel for a church. It's not all a church does, but it's the fuel for what a church does. Before a church goes out in its community and is generous, before we do all these other acts of mercy, before we even have community with each other, uh, the fuel of that is vertically directed, gospel-centered, spirit-filled worship to Almighty God. The psalmist says this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Because what we do there is we get our eyes off of ourselves and off of our problems and off of our ability, and it gets back on the God that we serve and the God that has saved us. And so glad that you're here, whether you're watching online or whether you're, again, whether you're at Hendersonville or Brevard or Franklin or East or West or wherever it is you are. So glad that you're here. And if you are online, let me give you a special shout out to a couple of folks. We got Ashley and Stewart from down the road in Rutherfordton. I never can pronounce that. Rutherfordton. All right, like Leicester, Lester, wherever that uh, is. And then we got Kevin and Diane from uh, from Sotus, uh, New York. Thank you very, very much for uh, for tuning in. And so uh, what you saw from that video is what's going to happen on. December the 12th, and really it happens all the month of December, but here's what I want to put a challenge before you. You all have already stepped up, even as we've introduced it when it comes to the Big Give. The Big Give is the December emphasis of acts of generosity throughout 828 into the communities. Normally, it's the four communities in which we have locations, but actually it's going to be five counties this time uh, because of obviously the difficulty and the trials that Haywood County is going through on the heels of the flooding that they had no more than just a couple of months ago. Many of you have already been out there mudding out houses, helping out. You have already helped. We actually filmed one of the first stories this week and starting in December. It is going to be so fun just to rejoice at what God is doing uh, through you and in people all around, not just Haywood, but the other four counties as well. So here's my challenge to you. You can go to the Big Give, the BuiltmoreChurch.com, the Big Give, and you can see a number of different ways that you can help. Uh, you've already, tons of you have already stepped up, made sure that we have 3,000 families that are going to get food boxes that week, but also there's some larger acts of generosity that we as a church are going to be able to do during that month. But here's what we need you to do as well is on December the 12th, that afternoon, that morning, we're going to come in to worship. We're going to worship our faces off. It's going to be an awesome morning. You're going to go have some lunch. And then that afternoon, we're going to come and we're going to pack all those boxes at every single camp, all seven locations. And then we're going to go out that afternoon and actually distribute it to people who've already identified saying, man, I am would love to be able to say, you know what? I don't have to worry about food this week, all right? I don't have to worry about that. And you're just gonna go there. We're gonna build relationships and demonstrate the gospel and hopefully in many cases actually be able to declare the gospel. Deal? All right, let me give you another shot at that, all right? Uh, we're gonna go out there and we're not just gonna demonstrate the gospel, but hopefully what we're gonna be able to do is to declare the gospel on December the 12th all around the 828. Deal? All right, take your Bibles, take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians. All right, we're in a place, uh, as I mentioned last week, we're in a set, we're, this year of the Bible, we started in Genesis, uh, we're going to end, believe it or not, on, on uh, Sunday morning, the 26th, is going to be, you're going to have a couple of, uh, couple of sermons out of the book of Revelation during Christmas. I mean, I mean, how, what, what says Advent more than, you know, uh, you know, the white horse and a sword in his mouth? I mean, what, what says Advent better than that? But, um, you're the Bible. We're in a section now called the epistles. And here's what you need to understand about this section before we jump into something very specific today. 
The epistles were letters written to local congregations by the apostles. And what they did is they, over and over and over again, it reinforces the fact that the gospel was not just how people entered into the Christian life. It's also the way you live the Christian life. It's the motivation for why you live the Christian life. And so over and over again in the epistles, and in particular the book of Ephesians today, what it's going to say is, here's how you believe the gospel, but it's going to go, after you believe the gospel, here's how you behave the gospel. In other words, here's the the identity. This is who you are. Somebody said the book of Ephesians can be used for every single counseling session that you could ever possibly have because it deals with your identity and then it deals with the activity on the heels of knowing who you are. Now I understand this is what I do. And so when we're in Ephesians chapter six today, and again, it's a little bit of a follow-up for, uh, from last week. And so again, the first three chapters are about identity, that you're adopted, you're made holy, you're made blameless, you are uh, chosen, you are forgiven, you've been gone from death to life if you are in Christ. And then chapter four starts to go to how does that actually look? It talks about unity in a church, forgiving other people, worship, and then he goes into relationships with family. And last week, and this is kind of part two of maybe a little baby, little two-part emphasis. Last week, uh, what we did is we looked at the marriage relationship, what it is, what it uh, can be, what it should not ever be, a lot of those different things. Uh, We had um, really strong responses at all the services all morning long to say, you know, just crying out to God, you know, crying out to God. God, would you either help my marriage or God, would you help me see you first and foremost as the one who satisfies and completes me? And that's an, it was an emotional Sunday, and today would probably be in the along the same lines because we're going to look at something else that at first glance you might say, well, that doesn't apply to me. And I'll get to that in just a second. But what we're talking about and what the book talks about after it goes through marriage in Ephesians 5, in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks, starts talking about uh, parenting. Parenting. Now, as soon as I say the word parenting or child or father or even mother, or even grandparenting, uh, emotions always start to rise to the surface. And usually it's one of two emotions and they tend to be on the extreme. On one hand, sometimes when you hear the word child or son or daughter, it fills you with joy. You're in that sweet season right now. Everything's clicking. Home life is awesome. Kids are behaving. They're plugged into the youth group. They're helping in the ch- whatever they're doing. You're like, it's third John. The apostle John said, I have no greater joy than this than to see that my children are walking in the truth. Now, in his case, he's talking about his spiritual children, but the principle is the same. There's nothing more for the Christian parent who sees their son or daughter walking with Jesus. That is like the ultimate of joys. On the other hand, there is no pain like kid pain. Whether it be health, whether it be Social stuff, whether it be obviously spiritual stuff, there's no, there's no pain like that. It is amazingly hard and it is amazingly uh, joyful all at the same time. And the biggest thing we have is a sense of inadequacy most of the time. If you're a parent or a grandparent, think back to that first, if you have more than one kid or great, think about the first, the first child you brought home. I mean, first child is like the guinea pig because you have no idea what you're doing, right? You have no idea. They're like, you're letting me take this child home? With no training, I mean, I had more for getting a driver's license than I do for being a parent, and I get to take this little baby home. 
Jim Gaffigan, who's a comedian, I'm not, not endorsing him or saying he's a Christian, but he is funny. Gaffigan said this, most of the time, I feel entirely unqualified to be a parent. I call these times being awake. That's exactly how you sometimes feel as a parent. It's like, I feel so inadequate and unqualified to be a parent. And most of us feel that way. Uh, and you actually, you feel okay on some areas, or even as a grandparent, you feel okay when it comes about providing for your kids physically, you know, eventually like, you know, I can earn a good enough living to get what they need. Uh, socially, you can kind of monitor their friends a, a little bit. Um, things like that you feel somewhat adequate about most of the time or eventually. The thing that we feel most inadequate about is how do I disciple my kid? How do I disciple them? How do I grow them up spiritually? And here's my whole goal for you today. If you're a parent or a grandparent, is for you to crush it. That's, that's my whole goal, is for you to be able to leave here in a little bit saying, you know what, I have an opportunity to crush it when it comes to discipling my kids. You're gonna see at every single location, there is a kid's table out there, there's a student table out there, there's also a foster care table out there, tons of information, tons of resources. If I forget to say it later, if you've got a child like between the ages of, let's say, four years old and like nine or 10 or even going up toward like fifth grade maybe, you've got for the like, as long as the supplies last, we got you a Jesus storybook Bible. I wish we'd have had that back when I was a parent of little kids. Free for you. Just go by the table and say, you know what, I don't have one of these. Now, if you have three of them at home and you uh, take one anyway, that's called stealing and we will see you maybe in heaven. So just go by there though if you, uh, if you don't have one. But, um, let, me, let me tell you two other qualifiers before we jump in the text. A lot of times you assume a speaker or even the preacher sometimes is a subject matter expert on this. And so uh, I look back, let me just say this. Uh, first of all, not a subject matter expert. I am a dad, have been a dad of boys, um, read a ton on the subject, been a pastor for 30 years, so I've seen a lot of parenting and some parents that crushed it and some parents that didn't do it. And there's some things that I look back on and say, man, that was right on, would do it exactly the same way. But to be honest, in reflection, there's some things even this week that I saw that's like, I would not do it that way, I would do it this way. And so today, what, we're gonna, what we do wanna do every Sunday is you don't need four opinions from Bruce or six tips from me to be a better parent. It's like, let's look at what does God's word say about being a parent. Now, with that being said, some of you had good parents and godly parents, and that's a blessing. Some of you had awesome parents and you got raised with a godly home and a generous dad and a you know godly mom and you're just, and that is not perfect, but good and godly and you got some awesome roots in there. I would say two things. Number one, you're blessed and number two, you're probably in the minority. For those that didn't have that and that all along the degrees of what is a bad parent, in particular a bad dad, we're not a parent bashing church, all right? They probably did the best they knew how. They probably didn't get it from their parents. But for the bigger picture is make sure because a dad actually is supposed to be like the training wheels for a kid as that kid grows up and ends up getting to know God through repentance and faith in Jesus. And so if those training wheels are bad, sometimes that is an obstacle to knowing God instead of actually the training wheels to knowing God. But with that being said, don't judge your heavenly father by your earthly dad. All right, judge your earthly dad by your heavenly father. And so don't reverse those two as we walk through this. And then I would say lastly is this. Some of you are like, I'm single, I got no kids. A couple of words about that to you. First of all, you are raising, you are helping raise the next generation whether you know it or not. 
You're part of two families. You're a bio- you got part of a biological family and you're part of a church family. And part of being part of a church family is you have a role to play in discipling the next generation. By the way you model, by the way you give, by the way you volunteer, by the way you serve, by the way you do all that stuff, you are part of that. And I would say uh, one last thing is you're gonna learn a lot from this text about how the way that God fathers you. If you're a Christ follower, how does God father me? How does God parent me in this? So we're gonna spend a couple of minutes on the first three verses and then do a deep dive on verse four. Verse four, you could almost say of the, I think it's 60,000 parenting books, 60,000 parenting books on Amazon. If you were to go, it's like, hey, I wanna get a parent. It's not for lack of information, but one verse, one verse in Ephesians 6, verse four is the compass. It is the true north for like, all right, what do I do as a parent? What do I not do as a parent? I would say in many ways it encompasses all the biblical teaching and not the idea, you're like, my family's jacked up, my family's messed up. Here's a little, virtually every family in the Bible is messed up. Seriously, we think, look in the Bible and how all those, I mean, Noah's son, you know what, made fun of Noah while he was drunk. Even God's kids, God's kids rebelled against God. There are no perfect families. But not to say today can't be a great first step. I know I'm gonna say this at the end again. Some of you are like, I didn't get some of this stuff you're talking about from my parents. And now I'm a dad and I didn't get it and I don't know how to do it. Listen, you can be the first link in the chain. You can be the first link in the chain of your family to say, you know what? I didn't get it from my dad, but you know what? My kids are gonna get it. My grandkids are gonna get it from me. So here we are, Ephesians 6. Let me read the first three verses. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, talking about quality of life, and that you may live long in the land. That's talking about quantity of life. And so a quick little flyby on those couple of verses. If you understand what he's saying there, if you're new to Bible study, you need to understand what he's saying there is he's quoting the fifth commandment. Of the top 10, that's number five. And the way that 10 commandments are organized is the first four are about your relationship with God. The last five are about your relationship with other people. And number five is the hinge, which is this one. It is the hinge between your vertical and your horizontal relationships. That's the parenting relationship. And what he says is this, obey when you are young and you were under their roof, but no matter how old you get, you honor them always. Now we could spend the whole time just on this because I understand when I say honor your parents, some of you are like, they're not honorable people. And some of you are like, you know what? My parents are gone and I'm glad they're gone. So let me just quickly say this, what honoring is not and what it is. The word means to give weight to. So honoring your parents, which is the case for the rest of your life, it does not mean denying a difficult past. It does not mean that it would be wrong for you to set appropriate boundaries as needed even today. It's like, you know what, I can't go there, dad. Can't do this anymore, we gotta set boundaries. That's not dishonoring necessarily. Honoring means things like choosing to place great value on the relationship. The way we use the term now when you say weight, it's like that person carries great weight with me. 
That's the idea of a parenting relationship. You know what? That relationship is important. And I know you want to say, you know, it's not important. It's not important. I don't care what the old man thinks. You know what? I've heard people say that for years. And then I've seen that same guy who's like, I don't care what he thinks. Get on a plane and then fly out to California on the deathbed of the dad just to get the approval of his dad at the end of the dad's life. It does matter. It matters a lot. It matters to you. It matters to him. It matters to matters to God. It means improving the relationship where you can. It means forgiving as needed. It means seeing them as Christ sees them with love and compassion and mercy. It means saying thanks. It means uh, calling and caring for them when they're old. It means calling and asking their opinion. That's honoring. Again, we could spend all our time on that, but verse four is where we want to dig down. Look at verse four. It starts with a negative and goes to a positive. The negative, we could spend the whole time on too. Because here's the negative. The negative is fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. We could just stop right there. Colossians chapter three has a very similar verse when it says, do not exasperate your kids. Again, we could put up top 10 list of things that exasperate our kids. You know, everything from valuing uh, your job more than them, to favoritism, to giving them toys instead of yourself. And we could, we could do the guilt trip all day long. But it says, do not provoke your children to anger, but here's the positive, and this is where I want you to crush it today. But bring them up in the two words, in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And some of you are like, why is he saying just to the fathers? Well, there's, there's a cultural issue there. Uh, and, there's, and there's also just a, a just a, a pure leadership issue there. Cultural issue would be this. Cultural issue is in that day and time, the dad, the father had ultimate control over everything, including the life of the child. Here's what would happen in that culture. In that culture, a baby would be born. They would bring the baby either in like a little basket, a little, little bassinet thing, or even like on a cloth, and they would lay the baby or they would put the baby in front of the dad. The dad would come up. It's kind of like a scene from Gladiator almost. The dad would come up. And he would either, he would look at the baby and he would either give it a thumbs down or a thumbs up. Thumbs down mean you get the baby and you can expose the baby. Just put him out. I don't want him or her. For example, sometime if like, I really want a son, I really want a son and it's a daughter, he would go like this. You know what? Get, get rid of that baby. I don't want to do it. And he would walk away. Or sometime instead of this, he would take the baby and he would lift the baby up. Meaning, you know what? I want to keep this baby. But still he had that kind of, that kind of power. But when you look at this, here's what he says to those dads, even in that culture and certainly in our culture, he says this. Look at the phrase, bring them up. Bring them up. It means to nourish, to direct, or to feed their soul. It's a very tender thing. It's like, listen, dads, you bring them up in the Lord. And having been a dad and having talked to men for 30 plus years in different venues and so forth, they feel very inadequate in this regard and what we tend to do as men is we get passive in this. And so what I want you to do is just say, listen, I'm gonna take one step today. The word for fathers there, it does mean fathers, but it is a term also that can mean both, it can mean parents, all right? And so this is for dads and this is also for moms. How do I, how do, I do this? How do I have a Christ-centered approach, a gospel-centered approach to raising that next generation? So let me give you, let me give you a handful of things that you see right from the text. First of all, just look at, bring them up. It says, bring them up, nourish them. So put this down, if you would, just put down this. You are discipling your child. 
You're like, no, I don't want to disciple my child. I don't want them to make up their own mind. What I'm telling you, brother, is you are discipling your child whether you want to or not. You are discipling them. The question is not, are you discipling them? The question is, what are you discipling them toward? That's the question. I mean, every time a four-year-old runs up to you at church, and it's like, boomer sooner, or comes up and says, hook them, or comes up and says something really crazy like, roll tide. I mean, if a four-year-old comes up and tells you that, you know they are being discipled in their home. They are, they're being discipled. What mom and dad have said is, listen, we root for this team. We don't root for this team. This is what is important. This is what is not as important, all right? We rejoice when this happens. This is important, and this is not important. And so when you look at it, it's not a matter of if you are or if you're not. It's the question of what kind of disciple am I making? So here's what dawned on me this week is everything we do, the way we live life is communicating to our children what is of utmost value? What of his ultimate value? So here's the question. What am I communicating by the way that I live and the way that I speak? What is of ultimate value to my kids? I'm not saying what do you think? I'm not saying what do you believe? I'm saying what are you communicating by what you say and what you do is of ultimate value to your kids? If your kids were to say, you know what, bottom line is this is what I think is of ultimate value to my mom, this is what they would say. And if I could meddle just a little bit here, uh, hear the, hear the temptations in which to pragmatically communicate to our kids of what is of utmost value. And these are not bad things. They're not. They're good things that become ultimate things. And the question we have to ask is, do I want to be communicating to my kids that that is the value that is attached to their life? And then you've subsequently got to ask is, is that the way that God parents me? And so some of the temptations would definitely be like grades, for example. Grades, are grades important? Absolutely, they're very important. Do they help provide opportunities? Absolutely. Is it wrong to say we study hard in this family and we make good grades and all of, it's nothing wrong with that at all. But if you're not careful, do not, make sure you do not communicate that your value is tied to your GPA. Okay, you are valuable because you were on the honor roll. Make sure that that is not connected. It is important, it's not ultimate. Let me go ahead and mess around with this one as well. And, and don't think I'm, if you're new here to church, I love sports. Sports is another one. I mean, I love sports almost too much, all right? I mean, I, was a, I played sports in college. I know what it's like to get mad at the television. I mean, I understand that. I understand what it's like to go nuts when Texas Tech kicks a 62-yard field goal last night. And it's like, for the win! Sick. I mean, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to get mad and throw stuff when the Braves beat the Astros. I understand. I understand what it's like. I understand, and somewhat kind of ashamed about how big of an impact that had, but I am a big believer in sports, so I understand that. I think I love the way it teaches values, hard work, teamwork, determination, you name it. I love what it does uh, teach, but <laughs> you're, uh, your kid's not going pro. She's, she's, not, she's not going pro. Like, well, I think, I think you're wrong. I might be, maybe. In 14 years here, I don't know how many kids have come through here. Let me just take, let's take a guess. Let's say there's been 9,000 kids in the last 14 years. One, maybe two, one to my knowledge has gone pro. One in 9,000 kids that have come through our church. Now, I'm not saying, so you're like, you're, so you're saying there's a chance, all right? So yeah, there's a chance, there's a chance. There's a chance, 
Well, I'm just telling you, one in 9,000 is not like what you want to bank stuff on. So unless you're that one, just think they're not going pro. And here's the, here's the tension you have. And I understand the tension. And it's even more than when my kids were younger. And the tension is because now everybody, you got to pick a sport and you got to select. You can't play through, and select ball and travel teams and on all that. Kind of, I understand that. I'm just asking you to ask yourself the question that is soccer and is football and is baseball as they get going, which communicates to them what is more important and what is more valuable, their spiritual formation or their athletic development? I'm not saying which one you believe. You're like, of course, their relationship with Jesus is more important. I'm saying, what are your activities? What do your actions and what do your words say and what do they communicate? Because there's nobody in here as a parent, I don't think, that would want to communicate to their kids. You know what? Your value is tied to your GPA. It's tied to your batting average or it's tied to how good you look, how pretty you are, whether you make homecoming court, whether you're in the in-group at school. You don't want to communicate that, but I'm saying is you are discipling them toward one or the other, whether you want to or not. And so what we want to do is ask the question, how does God father me? And I didn't even know this. I've, I've, book of Ephesians has probably been my favorite book for 20 years for a variety of reasons. I did not know until this week that the word father is used in Ephesians eight different times, that it starts that way and it ends that way. So eight different times, he is, and this is one of the few times of talking about earthly parents. The rest of the time, he's actually talking about your relationship with God the Father. He starts it off, verse, verse two, chapter one, ends chapter six, verse 23. J.I. Packer put it this way. It's kind of a little bit of a longer quote, but I, the more I've read it, the more I agree with it. Packer says this, you can sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child, of having God as her father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the Old Testament, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God and our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. So here's what I'm saying. Thinking about the way you parent your kid and thinking about the way God parents you, does God expect perfection from you? The answer to that is no. God does not expect perfection of you. The phrase we use all the time is, does God love some future version of you when you get your act together, when you all of a sudden fulfill those new year resolutions? Like, is that me? Is that me? Is that me? Or did he love me right where I am at great expense to himself? Romans chapter five, verse eight. Or here's one, this was so convicting. Uh, Zephaniah, I know that you're like, oh, yeah, I've been reading in Zephaniah lately. I'm just saying the Zephaniah passage everybody likes is that God actually sings and delights over his kids. Do you delight over your kids? I mean, do you delight over them? Do you delight over them? Or do they feel like that they let you down based on their performance? Because you got to go back, and this is why we talk about gospel. I was trying to think of a title, Gospel Center Pairing. This is why. This is why you always got to go back to that. You got to go back to the gospel. Why? 
Because if you know Jesus, that's the way the whole book starts is that you know what? I'm talking to the people in Ephesus, but they're also in Christ Jesus. He said, if you're in Christ Jesus, then guess what? then Jesus is the propitiation for your sin. Propitiation, again, means a payment that satisfies. It means that Jesus paid the payment for your sin so that when the Father looks at you, you are in Christ. And so what he sees is, he sees the resume that Jesus accrued, perfection, put to your account. And so any reason for wrath or disappointment or surprise was done away with when Christ paid the penalty for your sin. And so the First few verses say that you are reconciled, forgiven, adopted, new, loved, gifted. You're a saint. You are blessed. So you see, a, let's say you see a, you see a, you see a dad holding a newborn, and he's like protective of that newborn, and he's just like a, he's like, look at, look at, look at my little girl, look at my. Little. That's the way God is when He looks at you if you're in Christ. You look at a, you look at a dad, and he's walking along with a toddler, and holding her hand. And she's like stumbling all over the place and clumsy and, you know, it's like falling and stuff. And it's like, he will do whatever is needed to make sure she doesn't fall. And when she does fall, he doesn't scold her. And it's like, man, you disappoint me so badly. I had no idea that you would fall. You fell a few blocks ago and now you're falling again. Walk yourself. You don't see any of that. You see a dad pick up the daughter and walk with her. And then as she gets stronger and stronger, hey, let's try this again. Let's try this again. Even the delight of a dad with the piggyback rides where you're taking the piggyback ride, all you're doing is having a great time. Is that the way you see your relationship with God? Because that's what everybody, here's, I don't want to get too psychological in here at all because we're a Bible church or I'm not a counselor, but I would say this, everybody longs for parental approval. They long for that. I mean, it kind of goes back to what I said last week. You long for that parental approval, you know, I want dad to be proud of me. And that, part of that is, that's part of the Imago day that God gave you. And that's actually supposed to drive you, supposed to drive you to the gospel. You know what? That I can be adopted into God's family and he can save me and bless me and forgive me and put me in his family. That's what it's supposed to do. But that sense of, you know what? I want him to be proud of me. I want him to love me. I mean, I don't even, I probably shouldn't even say this, but some of y'all are thinking it anyway. It's like, I've never seen it. I've just heard it. But there's a movie called Talladega Nights where there's a guy named Ricky Bobby. And Ricky Bobby leaves tickets for his dad in the ticket place. And he does it for like years and years and years and years. And every time he's like, did my dad come and pick up the tickets? Because I want to see him. I want him to see me drive. I want him to see me drive. I want him to be proud of me. My guy was like a sorry dad. And when you look at this, it's like, we long, we long, we long for that. We long for that. I want his approval. And loved one, what you've got to understand is it doesn't matter what other people say. doesn't matter what your performance says. doesn't even matter what your parents say. Ultimately, it's what does Jesus say about you? Because that's going to overflow into the way that you parent your kids. So the first one is let's understand you're making a disciple. All right, look at the next phrase. The first one is this. first one is, hey, you bring them up, you bring them up, nurturing. And then there's two phrases here that mean two different things, but they do go together. He says, you bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Okay, the first word, discipline. It's the idea of structure. It's the idea of kind of what you do to structure around the child. It's kind of what you do to the child, which could include reward, it could include discipline, it could include, it's a lot of that. So that's what you do. But then it says, and the instruction, which literally means put before the mind, which is what you say to the child, 
And then what he's talking about is discipling your child because it says in the Lord. This is where we feel inadequate. What am I supposed to do? I'm at church today and you can't, it's great. It's a great start. Here's a theology lesson. This, I gotta do this one before we jump into this because theology lesson that you see in Ephesians and elsewhere, let's just talk about the doctrine of original sin. The doctrine of original sin basically means that our great, 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 however long you wanna go back, Adam and Eve sinned. And when they sinned, called the fall of mankind, in Genesis chapter three, sin entered the world and it has been passed down generation to generation, generation, generation. It is part of our DNA. And what that means is we are born with the proclivity to rebel against almighty God. And so the gospel comes along and says, you know what, you need a new heart You don't just need new laws. You need a new heart. You need to be born again. You need a transformation from the inside out. So here's what that means when it comes to parenting. And don't get mad. And some of you are like, I don't believe that. Well, probably you don't have kids if you don't believe this one. But the doctrine of original sin basically means this, is you don't have to send send your kid to sin school. That's what that means. You don't have to send them to sin school. You don't have to teach them how to lie. You don't have to teach them how to bite the kid next to them. You don't have to teach them how to steal. They do that naturally. You're like, not my little junior. No, he's awesome. Okay, just just wait. I'm just saying, just wait, just wait. Now, are they made in the image of God? Yes, they are. Are they fearfully and wonderfully made? Yes, they're fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, but they're little sinners. All right, that's what it is. So it's both and. The reason I say that is how you approach the gospel getting into their life. One of them is what you would call a prevent defense. Prevent defense is, let me assume that we're ahead. Let me, because prevent defense in football is basically, it's like, people hate that because it, you, people like it prevents you from winning. But what they're trying to do is like, we're ahead in the score, so we're gonna back off and just try to manage what we have and keep the lead. And that's the way a lot of parenting is done. All right, let's just kind of try to protect them as best we can. And then one day they're gonna just, all these inward awesome traits are gonna spring forth. That's one way. And I would just beg you to not be, not, not be a prevent defense, but be on the offense. And what the offense means is this, is you want to both impress and instruct the gospel into them from a very early age. Not just, because here's what I, here's what, man, there's some things I wish I'd have known. If you, If you do behavior modification without a heart transformation, you are doing slingshot parenting, I promise you. If you are just trying to modify their behavior, even at church, like I want him to be a good little boy, there's nothing wrong with teaching them all these good things, nothing wrong with that, but if their understanding of the gospel is be a good little boy and they don't understand you're not a good little boy, but Jesus still loves you and he will change your heart and the power of the gospel to change his heart and then his life is amazing. That's offensive. And how do you do that? You model it, which I'm gonna give you a couple ways in a second. So you impress it by the way you model, that's the first word, and then you instruct him by what you say. Now again, I've done this before, so I'm like, this is, this is intimidating. Sometimes it is formal. Most of it's informal. Some of my challenge to you, if I said something like this, if I said, hey, one time a week for 10 minutes a day, if you got kids that are still in your home, just, man, read a passage and talk about it for 10 minutes one time a week. Some of you are like, that's the family altar, that's family devotional. You get this picture. Here's what you get a picture of. Show that first picture. This is what you think of 
I think there's, a one, there's, there's two pictures of like, see how happy they are? I mean, everybody's just around God's word and it's open and smiling and, and you know, everybody's awake. Is there, I don't know if there's, um, okay, let's just, okay. Okay, there's another one, okay. So look at look at everybody's attentive. You can almost hear like the birds in the background and it's so awesome. And it's like, look at that. They father, and that's why some of y'all actually thought maybe our boys grew up. And it's like, you know, we would sit there and they'd bring out the Gutenberg Bible and Lori would come in singing a hymn and, you know, everybody, well, this is amazing. Let's teach us the word, Father. That's, that's okay, just, just to try to unromanticize that just a little bit. Here's the way family devotionals actually usually, not that one, that one, okay? That's the way it, that's the way it normally looks. Because I'm telling you, when you try to do this, Everything breaks loose, all right? Everything breaks loose. The kids will fight with each other. Somebody will pick a booger. Somebody will do something. Everything goes crazy. All I'm telling you is don't romanticize it, but you can still do it. You can still do it. That's why I'd say if you got those kids that one age, man, take that Jesus storybook Bible. Or here's another one. You talk about setting you up. Our kids area, has, they got these Advent boxes with all this stuff in here. So the month of December, and the only time you can get this is like the Sunday after Thanksgiving when all y'all are gone anyway. So you might, might as well have this. Man, get one of these. All right, these are epic. These are like Advent boxes. Advent is, you know, the idea of he's coming. And this is this sets you up for the month of December. Toys and object lessons. You don't have to do anything to take Junior. Go get that Advent box. That would be one way. Get the, get, get the Jesus Storybook Bible, all right? We got like extra 500 or something of them while supplies last. But let me, let me give you a handful more. A lot of it is uh, kind of informal. Uh, teenagers. Probably, you know, teenagers, man, that's hard. That's, that can be hard. So instead of sitting there saying, we gotta do it in a structured way, and there's everything right with that, 10 minutes, one time a week, let's start slow. But instead, just connect a little bit. You know, what, what do you, let's ask them, hey, what are you praying for right now? What are you praying for right now? If they say, preacher told you to ask me that, doesn't kick, just say, hey, just what are you praying for? What are you praying for? Or then just follow it up by saying, how can I be praying? How can I be praying for you? How can I be praying for you? How about this, on the ride home today? Hey, uh, what'd you learn? What'd you learn today? What'd you get out of it? What'd you learn? And then just kind of let them talk. Ask them questions. You're being intentional is all, you, see, be, you're trying to be intentional in the ordinary stuff. I would say this, parents, uh, <laughs> protect them tech-wise. This is a little bit old school, but if you are a parent and you don't have some kind of protection on their phone or on their computer and like, well, we just trust them. They're in there on the computer and I don't know why he's in there for four hours. I have no idea. Never check on him. It's foolishness. It's foolishness. You're like, well, they don't want me to and it makes them mad. I'm saying you are protecting them. You're protecting them. I mean, stick covenant eyes on your phone for Pete's sake. Do something, but protect them with that. Here's another one. Make yourself a safe place for doubts. When your junior high son comes up and, you know, says, you know what, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I believe the Bible, or I'm not sure I believe God created everything. Don't freak out. They probably heard it from somebody at school. Do not go, terrible, do not ever say that in this house again. Not a good plan. You know, you know what you're doing? All you're doing is you're just pulling that thing back. 
You're just pulling that thing back. Because at some point, whoom, they're going to go. And you want to be a safe place. I'm not saying agree with them. Just say, hey, tell me about that, little buddy. Tell me about that, little buddy. Because, you know, I don't, I don't really believe that he made everything. But, you know, he, he made a lot of stuff. He, kinda, he probably made the lions and the tigers and stuff like, well, isn't that awesome, little buddy? Man, he made the apex predators that eat all the other stuff. How awesome is that? And then you just move on. Or you get them some answers. Hey, my teacher told me there was some couple of mistakes, and in those genealogies, they like leapt a couple of years. What's an explanation for that? That's like a five-minute Google search, bro. It's it's all it is. You don't have to know the answer right then, but get the answer, but be a safe place for them. Ask them, hey, what's your favorite worship song and why? And don't freak out if you put the music on, and you're like, that's, they put on like something like church clap. And one one parent's like, I didn't know if I really liked that song, and because they couldn't understand the words. Right? Like, I don't know if I like that song. I don't want my kids listening. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Look at the lyrics, all right? Look at the lyrics. And if the lyrics are awesome, who cares about the beat, man? Seriously. What do you like this song? Well, I like the song because it talks about, and that song right there talks about everything from doctrine to Bible to worship to enthusiasm and worship. That's a pretty good song. You don't have to sit there and go, all right, you're listening to the Gaithers today. Do not do that, all right? Do not do that. You will have a rebel on your hands in a, in a hurry. And let me give you one last thing. And I, here's it. Learn from my failure. If you blow it, just apologize. As a young preacher, when our boys were small, when I would blow it, they already knew it. But I would think that I needed to show them a great example, which somehow in my weird way of thinking was like, well, if I apologize over what I actually did or losing my temper or whatever, then you know what? That's going to show them that, you know what? Daddy messed up. And if daddy messed up, then this whole thing is messed that's, that's, that's crazy. I mean, what is more distinctively Christian than owning your sin and then going to Jesus for grace and then asking forgiveness to those you've offended? I mean, tell me what that does. That teaches them the gospel because you are being humble and you go, hey, little buddy, I gotta just talk to you. You know how we're always talking about grace and we're always talking about forgiveness and about how Jesus, you know, Jesus understands where we are but then doesn't leave us there because he loves us and how we have grace and forgiveness because of what Jesus did. We understand we're talking about that? Well, daddy needs some of that too. You know, because as you know, you know, when I lost my temper because you didn't rake the leaves correctly, that's more about daddy than it is about you. It really is, it's just, Dad had a bad day. Please forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. Would you forgive me, little buddy? You think, you think that's going to hurt? You think that's going to hurt the work of the gospel in his heart? I would say that is going to propel the work of the gospel in his heart. Just apologize when you blow it. He already knows it. She already knows it. And so you're like, well, I need some help with that. Well, I'm glad you said that. So let me give you this one last observation, and then we're going to pray. Is uh, community is key. Community is key. You're like, where are you getting that from that text? Actually, it's kind of like the whole thing. Notice, starting off, fathers is plural. What they would do in that day and time is they would bring the whole church together, and he would, talk, he would, he would say the whole thing to the whole church, and he would say fathers, plural. He starts the book off by calling it saints, plural. It's the idea of community. It's the idea you don't have to do this all by yourself. Home is the primary place to disciple the Christian faith. It is. It's not the church. Church is secondary. You get 8,700 hours a year. We get about 100 hours a year. All we want to do as a church is to equip you to hit a home run in discipling your student. Because, you know, bottom line is I'm not going to stand before God one day and give an account on how I discipled your kid. 
I am going to stand before God one day and give an account for how I discipled you to disciple your kid. And so we want to, we want to set you up to crush it. That's why in all the lobbies at all the different locations, we have got tables set up with all different kinds of stuff. And so go by there. It's like, man, I got a student or I got a student and a child. And just go by there. Make sure you know the pastors. Make sure you can meet the leaders. Make sure you pick up that information. Make sure you understand when student camp is. Make sure you've got some of that stuff. Like, I don't have any kids, but I want to I wanna support. Man, then volunteer in there. Volunteer. Some of you, God's been tugging on your heart about foster care, and you just need to go over there to the foster care table and say, you know what? I need to be a part of this, or I need to have some more information. But community is key, both for you and for them. Let me give you one verse. Proverbs 13, I think it's verse 20, that says, it says, he who walks with the wise will be wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. What that really means is, it's the old saying, you show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Adults who you're with, that's why I always say in community and connect groups and discipleship groups and David's men and all this kind of stuff. Why? You need community. Your student does too. Just get them in there. And so you're like, uh, how do I do that? A couple of different things before we pray is you're like, again, I didn't, I didn't get this. I didn't get that from my parents. You know, I wish I'd have gotten that from my parents. It starts with you. I mean, today is the day where you can say, you know what? I didn't get that. I didn't get that model but you're like a first-generation Christian. You're a first-generation Christian, and you can be, again, the link in the chain for your, it can be like three generations from now, and they can look back and say, you know what? In November, in Asheville, North Carolina, or in Franklin, North Carolina, or Hendersonville, North Carolina, that's where it started. Grandpa Joe, he actually, not only just did he come to Christ, but he said, you know what? We're gonna start discipling our kids. And then they grow up and they disciple their kids. And all of a sudden it's a generation change. Some of us, your kids are uh, older. Let me speak to that for about 60 seconds. Your kids are older. You're here and you're, you, uh, you got a 40-year-old son or something like that. And um, you wish, you're like, man, I wish I'd have heard this. We should have heard this, you know, 40 years ago. It's, 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 you know, it's too late and things aren't good and, or things are okay. We talk on formal days for formal reasons about formal requests. And for you, again, we're not, we're not drive-by guilting here. Just own what you're supposed to own. And for you, it might be something as simple as uh, just picking up the phone and calling your daughter, calling your son and say, hey, I know this is kind of a random Call. I just want to call you and say that I love you, that I'm uh, I'm proud of you in these areas. You know, today we're talking about family discipleship, and as the pastor was talking, I was sitting there thinking, man, I wish I'd have done some different things. I wish God had moved in my life quicker and earlier, and I did the best I could. But there's some areas that I definitely could have done more. And I just want to say I love you, and I'm proud of you, and I'm sorry. Is there anything, as I said earlier, is there anything more distinctively Christian than owning your sin and then falling on the grace of God and then walking out in spirit-filled joy from that? It's not. You're able to say, you know what? I'm owning it, but God is good and God has paid for my sin. You're not excusing it. Just make the phone call. Pick it up. Go over to their house. Apologize. Own what you need to own. If they're, if they're 40, they're already making their own decisions, bro. They're already making it. You can't sit there and go, he's 40, she's 40, it's my fault. It's not. They're 40, they're making their own choices. 
And then this lastly, here's what I would do is we got about uh, just a few minutes that we're going to take. And last week, couples just came down and you prayed by yourself. And you certainly can do that now if you're a grandparent, if you're uh, somebody, you're wrestling, God's kind of tugging on your heart about foster care, and you're like, I just need some guidance, or you're a grandparent concerned about your granddaughter, or you're a parent, and you're like, man, it's, I just, if you don't need any help at all, if you don't need any grace at all, if you don't need God to move at all in your family, it's like, nope, I'm, a, I'm filled up to here, then please just kind of stay there and just be patient for like a couple of minutes. But if you're like, I need some grace, I need some presence of the Lord, I need God to do something in these areas, then you can obviously still pray, but one of the most amazing things is if somebody prays for you and for you and your child by name. They just, you know what, I'm praying with my sister here for their grandson, Johnny, that Johnny would come back to the Lord. You know the power in that? And so what we're going to do is, uh, at all the campuses, I'm asking the staff and maybe some of the uh, staff spouses, if they would, they're going to come up to the front here and they're going to kind of turn around. They don't have name badges or anything. And so if, you, uh, if you've got a child or a grandchild or wrestling with foster care, then right now I'm not going to, I'm going to pray at the end. Your campus pastor will pray at the end. Um, but I would encourage you to just go ahead and get up out of your seat. If you're watching online, you can hit your knees right there uh, where you are. But just come up here and you, if you're with your spouse, grab their hand and just come pray. Uh, a staff, go ahead and make your way up here. Staff spouses, if you'd make your way up here. And you can pray with them. Just All you got to do is say, come pray, come pray, come pray with me. Would you pray with me about this? And then we will, uh, we'll done. There's a song called Come to the Altar. Come to the Altar. If you're hurting and broken within, come to the altar. And so right now, all the campuses, if you would, just get up out of your seat. If you need God's grace in your parenting, in your grandparenting, if you just need God's favor, go ahead and get up out of your seat and say, would you pray for me? Or get on, you know, get on, this, on your knees and say, I'm praying right now. We want the kids and the grandkids and the great-grandkids, we want their name to be lifted up to heaven today.